0: 97.1 FM, The Drive, presents the Behind the Song podcast, taking you deeper into classic rock's most timeless tunes. Here's your host, Janda. Behind the Song is powered by DuPage Credit Union. If you're anything like my husband and I, spending this much time at home has made us think of all the home renovations we want to do. And with home equity loan rates the lowest they've been in years, it's the perfect time to kickstart your home renovations and talk to the experts at DuPage Credit Union. Whether you're looking for a fixed-rate home equity loan or a HELOC, they make it so simple to get the funds you need fast. For credit costs and terms or to apply, visit dupagecu.com. That's dupagecu.com. DuPage Credit Union is an equal housing opportunity lender. NMLS number four four five zero nine six. By member's choice, this institution is not federally insured. When you think of a typical rock and roll band, what comes to mind? A group of impossibly cool-looking people who play hard on and off the stage? Perhaps led by an enigmatic frontman with the ability to attract fans, groupies, and the press with an offhand comment or a toss of his lion-like mane? Well, sure. Rock and roll has no shortage of stereotypes. Drummers get pegged as being less than smart. Bassists are seen as forgettable as long as the rhythm is working. Keyboard players are often called weird. And guitarists are singled out for having outsized egos. People who play in rock bands are not considered to be practical, nor are they typically expected to be good at anything other than creating music, recording it, and performing it to a live crowd. There are a few exceptions to this cliché, of course. Queen guitarist Brian May has a Ph.D. in astrophysics. And Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine has a degree in political science from Harvard. And then there's Tom Schultz, the founder, mastermind, and centerpiece of the band Boston, one of the best-selling bands of all time. Quite simply, Tom Schultz is smarter than most. And the story of Boston is unlike any other in rock and roll. Scholes was born in Toledo, Ohio, the son of an architectural designer father who became wealthy designing prefabricated homes and a valedictorian mother who was a landscape architect. His parents played classical music around the house and Scholes was trained in classical piano as a child. He also was a self-described tinkerer, building model airplanes and taking apart and rebuilding go-karts and bikes. He excelled in school and was accepted to MIT in Cambridge in 1965, where he graduated in five years with a bachelor's and a master's degree in mechanical engineering. During this time, Scholes became interested in making music, idolizing Jeff Beck and Todd Rundgren. And he taught himself at age 21 to play guitar, bass, keyboards, and the organ. He was infatuated with the music of the animals, the kinks, and the yardbirds, and just before graduating in 1970, he had written his first piece of music, an instrumental piece called Foreplay, that would later develop into an epic hit. He joined a band called Freehold after meeting guitarist Barry Goudreau and drummer Jim Mastia, both from Boston's North Shore area, and began playing locally. Schultz accepted a position as a senior product design engineer at Polaroid in Cambridge immediately after graduating from MIT. And he began assembling his own home studio in his basement at night after returning from his day job, spending every spare cent on building a place where he could cut demos of the songs that he had zinging around in his head. Shortly afterward, Mastia brought the late singer Brad Delp. Another musician from the North Shore to Schultz's attention. Delp was a disciple of the Beatles, capable of hitting high notes with ease, and by all accounts, was one of the nicest guys in the local scene. Schultz was impressed by the incredible talent of this soft spoken, funny guy. He knew he had found the singer who could pull off the complicated, layered arrangements that he was writing when he found Delp. In particular, Schulz picked up on Delp's ability to harmonize with himself with ease, a gift that would come in handy for Schulz’s preference for overdubs in the production process. Schulz was teaching himself to write and produce music as he built his home studio, his nimble mind grasping quickly how to record the sounds he wanted. He started with a four-track recorder that he made himself and spent nearly all of his savings from his job at Polaroid to upgrade to a 12-track studio. He began inventing his own guitar pedals to create the sounds he wanted out of his guitar as well. From the early 70s, he recorded demos of songs that he and Delp had written, with Mastia arranging and recording the drum tracks. Schultz would overdub every instrument, painstakingly going over every single note track by track, and then Delp would do the same, overdubbing every vocal lead and all the harmonies until they were satisfied. It was a long, arduous process to record every song, which included More Than a Feeling, Peace of Mind, Rock and Roll Band, and more, all of which were sent repeatedly to record labels and all of which were repeatedly rejected. Running out of money for studio gear while working at Polaroid, Schultz finally caught a break. He and Delp were signed to a record deal at Epic Records on the strength of their demos. But there was a catch. They had to do a live audition for executives to prove that they could play these songs live. And what's worse, the label forced him to fire Mastia, who had arranged and played all the drums on the demo recordings. So they solicited the help of their old friend. Barry Goudreau on guitar who brought in Fran Sheehan on bass and Sib Hashian on drums and the five of them rehearsed until they could pull off a live version of what Schultz and Delp had created in that basement studio. This lineup performing the demo songs satisfied the executives at the record label and Epic signed them to a 10 album deal. They didn't even have a name yet and it gets weirder The record label pressed Schultz to re-record the demos in a professional studio, which of course did not sit well with Schultz. He knew the amount of work that went into recording those songs, and he was none too keen to record them any other way, especially under pressure from executives in an unfamiliar studio environment. So he came up with a plan to fool the executives. He and producer John Boylan sent the rest of the band to Los Angeles to make the record label think that they were all hard at work re-recording the songs there. When in reality, Schultz was toiling away at his own home studio in Boston, re-recording most of their debut album, playing all the instruments himself with the addition of Mastia, who the label had fired back on drums for the song rock and roll band. Schultz and Boylan arranged to get the tapes to Los Angeles. Delp added the vocals in the studio that the label had booked there, and Boylan mixed the album, all of which the executives at Epic were completely in the dark about. It was during this time that the band was finally named. Boylan suggested that Schultz and Delp call the band Boston after their hometown, and it stuck. Let's take a moment to marvel at this sleight of hand on the part of Schultz. Here was a brilliantly gifted engineer who could very well have continued to climb the corporate ladder at Polaroid, an MIT graduate who loved making music. He taught himself how to play and write it, and then he took it upon himself to further learn how to record and produce it. He tried to get his music heard by record labels for years, and when he was finally signed, he had to come up with a caper like this so that the executives wouldn't ruin it. Though he might have been originally intimidated by the demands from the record label to record Boston's debut album with a professional team of studio engineers and producers due to union stipulations and the fact that they were doubtful that a so-called mad genius could produce a record that would sell, Schultz was confident in his own ability to create the sound of Boston. A marriage of Beatles pop, hard rock, and classical music so confident that he risked it all by pulling the wool over the executive's eyes, faking that he and the band he had assembled were doing their bidding, all while continuing on his own path to completing the album his way. Schultz has said that he expected the personnel in the studio in L.A. to be experts, but when he got there, he found that they did not know how to get the fundamentals of his work out of the recordings. He said they weren't even familiar with the simple techniques of punching into and out of a recording for overdubs and fixes, which puzzled him since they were supposed to be the professionals in this scenario. He said that ultimately he just couldn't work in a production studio with people around, that he had worked alone in his basement studio on a 12-track tape machine with a Hammond organ, his guitars, the drums, and bass. For years, all crammed into a space paneled with pine that would flood with heavy rainfall. But it was his space, a home studio he had named Foxglove. And he did know what he was doing, and doing it his way resulted in one of the best sounding records of all time. And here's the kicker it was recorded for pennies on the dollar, of what most big budget albums were recorded for, a trick on the music biz that has gone down in the history books. This after initially being rejected as having nothing new to offer by the same corporation that signed the band. More than that, when Boston's debut album was released at the height of the disco era in 1976, it sounded so fantastic, so perfect, that it became the best-selling debut at the time and it was definitely one of the bestsellers of 1976, hands down. The track listing on this album is so familiar, with almost every song having received airplay on radio stations for decades now. Boston's debut album was not only a production feat, it was a hit. Tom Schultz was still working at Polaroid when the album started to get airplay and quickly climb the charts. He has said that if it didn't do well, he was prepared to quit his musical dreams and continue on with his engineering job. But that didn't happen. It was certified gold within two months of being released on August 25th, 1976, and went platinum for the first time in just three months. Schultz put in his two weeks notice at Polaroid, and pardon the pun, he didn't look back. Track two on Boston's debut album begins with an instrumental piece that, as I mentioned, Scholes had written way back in his college days in 1969 at MIT, the first piece of music that he had ever composed with a Hammond B3 organ doing most of the heavy lifting, foreplay. It morphs into long time, and the entire track clocks in at almost eight minutes long. You can hear Scholz's influences, the classical music he grew up with on foreplay and the layered harmonies and guitar riffs in Long Time, kicking in after years of shoals studying the music of the Kinks, Blue Cheer, the Yardbirds, and, of course, the Beatles. After the last strains of foreplay disintegrate against your ear, Long Time kicks in, and Brad Delp sings the lyrics, which go like this. It's been such a long time. I think I should be going. And time doesn't wait for me. It keeps on rolling. Sail on, on a distant highway. I've got to keep on chasing a dream. I've got to be on my way. Wish there was something I could say. And then the chorus. Well, I'm taking my time, I'm just moving on. You'll forget about me after I've been gone. And I take what I find I don't want no more. It's just outside of your front door. Tom Schultz wrote these lyrics years before they finally appeared on the Boston debut. And for as complex as the music is, the lyrics are pretty simple and forthright. A photograph of exactly what he was doing at the time, chasing a dream, which he knew was just within reach, right outside that basement studio door, and hoping that his music and his dream would not be forgettable. And it continues. Well, I get so lonely when I'm without you. But in my mind, deep in my mind, I can't forget about you. Good times and faces that remind me. I'm trying to forget your name and leave it all behind me. You're coming back to find me. It's the music taking form as a person. One could say that these lines are about Scholes' first wife, Cindy, who was with him during the early days, way before being signed to Epic a woman who helped him get his demo tapes out to the labels and endured his many endless nights working on his music in the basement. But the lyrics also speak to the obsession he had to creating his songs, night after night, for such a long time. The chorus repeats, and then Delp sings. It's been such a long time. I think I should be going. And time doesn't wait for me. It keeps on rolling. There's a long road I've got to stay in time with. I've got to keep on chasing that dream, though I may never find it. I'm always just behind it. Who would know better than Tom Schultz about chasing a dream? Driven by the pursuit of his dream and not giving up on it, even though while the chase was on, it seemed so elusive. Dealing with rejection after rejection, yet knowing that he was on to something, against all odds. The line, I'm taking my time, just moving along, repeats as the song fades out. And those words meant something to Tom Schultz. He took his time, perfecting the art of making his music, and it paid off. Not only did he find success as a musician, but he influenced a whole new sound into pop culture—a hunger for rock albums with precise and complicated music that could work when played live in packed arenas. Producers of rock music began to feel the limelight, and Boston imitators began popping up on the charts. When Boston toured behind this album, they ended up selling out night after night, including multiple nights at Madison Square Garden. Not bad for a band that label executives initially doubted could play live and were little more than a studio creation. Fans couldn't get enough, and even critics who were naysaying the band as being corporate rock had to walk it back. Quite simply, Scholes had assembled a band that could play very well together. Barry Goudreau's guitar solos rocking the house night after night, especially on Long Time, and Brad Delp's golden vocals leading the crowds to sing and clap along. To date, Boston's debut album has sold over 17 million copies in the U.S., and it is one of the essential albums of classic rock appearing on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's Definitive 200 list, among many other accolades. After the success of this album, Tom Schultz founded Schultz Research and Development Company, which marketed his Rockman amplifier. An inventor at heart, he created the Rockman to easily offer the effects on the guitar that he had come to so painstakingly over years of working on his sound in the studio. David Gilmour of Pink Floyd, among others, has used the Rockman to record his guitar. Schultz is the only remaining original member of Boston, of course. Brad Delp, the only other original member signed to Epic Records with Schultz, died tragically in 2007, committing suicide by carbon dioxide poisoning at his home in New Hampshire. By all accounts, Delp was one of the nicest frontmen in rock and roll, beloved by fans and bandmates alike but he suffered with depression throughout his life. He was 55 years old. Since 1976, Boston have only released six studio albums and one greatest hits compilation. Albums plagued by lawsuits and disagreements between Schultz and the original lineup members and with management and new lineups put together by Schultz and lots and lots of taking his time in between making new music as is his style. A seventh studio album has long been said to be in the works. Schultz founded the DTS Charitable Foundation in the late 80s, which has raised millions of dollars for issues including protecting animals, advocating for vegetarianism, and creating homeless shelters. He lives with his second wife, Kim, in Boston. Anything but a typical rocker. Tom Schultz created an entirely new style of making music and ushered in a new era in the rock and roll timeline. And it all started with an instrumental track that he held on to and built on, chasing that dream all the way from his basement studio to our ears, all around the world. I'm Janda, and this has been Behind the Song. Special thanks to Christian Lane for the music you hear on this podcast. Subscribe to the Behind the Song podcast on YouTube and watch the video episodes. And follow Behind the Song podcast on TikTok. On the way, episodes about lyrics from Genesis and more. Classic rock and roll. Behind the Song is powered by DuPage Credit Union. If you're anything like my husband and I, spending this much time at home has made us think of all the home renovations we want to do. And with home equity loan rates the lowest they've been in years, it's the perfect time to kickstart your home renovations and talk to the experts at DuPage Credit Union. Whether you're looking for a fixed rate home equity loan or a HELOC, they make it so simple to get the funds you need fast. For credit costs and terms or to apply, visit dupagecu.com. That's dupagecu.com. DuPage Credit Union is an equal housing opportunity lender. NMLS number 445096. By member's choice, this institution is not federally insured.